Welcome to NeuroPodcases, a neuroscience podcast created for medical students. We hope you enjoy listening. Hello, I'm Sarah Healy and I'm here today with Dr. Michael Bonello, one of the consultants at the Walton Centre. Hello everyone. So Dr. Bonello, I've just got a short case here that I thought we could just discuss a few points with, please. Uh, a 34-year-old man is referred to clinic by his GP requesting a test for Huntington's disease. His father had passed away from Huntington's disease aged 65 and his sister has recently tested negative. So thinking about genetic testing and when patients come to clinic asking for genetic tests, what are you particularly interested in when you're assessing patients? So uh, thanks Dr. Healy first of all for inviting me to do this podcast. Um, this is a type of patient that we do sometimes see in our uh, clinics, uh, particularly in the, genet- in the neurology clinics, but also in some of the subspecialty clinics and some of the genetic clinics. Um, the first question he- really here is uh, whether this is a patient who is symptomatic from the condition or whether this is someone who wants to pursue further genetic testing. Looking through the case, you've got a 34-year-old gentleman um, however, we don't have really have any details of whether they are clinically symptomatic or not. And the first thing that we uh, normally do in clinic is try to assess this. So as you uh, well know, Huntington's disease is a condition that uh, causes uh, movement disorder, but also causes problems with things like uh, cognitive impairment and uh, uh, psychiatric and mental health features. So uh, normally when we are seeing this gentleman, the first thing we do is, is try and ascertain if, if there are any features that would be consistent with this. Um, on deciding whether a patient like this is, is symptomatic or not symptomatic, then we can offer further testing. So uh, let's take the scenario that this gentleman doesn't have any clinical features uh, at the moment apart from a family history. He would uh, uh, fall in a category of for a test that is called a predictive test. What we could offer is a genetic test that uh, will allow him to understand whether he might develop Huntington's disease in, in the future or not. Um, the difficulty with this type of test is that it's not a, sim- it's not a straightforward um, blood test uh, because it does have significant implications. It can have implications both for himself, his immediate family, as well as extended family. Uh, also, uh, what you might be telling someone is that they might develop a condition that is untreatable and might affect their life. So it does have a significant effect on their mental health. If we see someone like this gentleman in clinic, what we would normally do is provide some brief counseling on what the, uh, what the pros and cons are of doing a predictive test. However, we would refer him to the genetic services for genetic counseling, where they can uh, provide more in-depth counseling of uh, doing su- such a genetic test um, uh, without the clinical syndrome. On the other hand, if we see someone who does have features of uh, clinically of Huntington's disease, uh, we normally do test this in clinic ourselves. We, nor- we normally mention to the patient that he does, have a f- a fam- he does have family history of Huntington's disease, but he also has clinical features of maybe chorea um, and potentially other movement disorders. And hence, uh, we, do, we, we do a blood test looking specifically for uh, the, the, uh, the CAG repeats on chromosome 4 that we see in Huntington's disease. Okay, so... So what considerations do you weigh up when referring patients for genetic testing? You mentioned there a few different points. There are a few considerations. So uh, when doing a genetic test, you, 
one needs to remember that you're doing a test that might have significant implications both for the patient as well as the family. So for example, if the, the patient is keen to starting a family and they want to know whether they might be at risk of developing Huntington's disease, um, uh, it might be the, the patient's personal opinion of uh, and the personal need to do the test. Uh, it might help them make decisions on whether um, they want uh, on what they want to do in life, and might help uh, might give them uh, certainties or uncertainties on what the next steps in their life uh, on the next steps in their life is. Uh, the most important thing to highlight is in predictive testing, the ultimate choice in deciding whether they want the test is lies with the patient themselves, and. Uh, it is the patient's choice and uh, how they want to live their life that at the end of the day um, decides whether they want to get tested or not. And it's important to know that no one should really force anyone to get tested unless they necessarily want to. Right. So overarching principles for all genetic conditions, I imagine. Yes. And uh, this is really important, uh, uh, particularly in the, uh, in the aspect of neurogenetics. Um, a lot of people will know about a number of rare conditions that have a genetic basis, and each of them uh, will affect the patients in, different, in a different manner. So a lot of neurogenetic conditions, uh, unfortunately at the moment, cannot be cured. So predictive testing in these patients needs to be done on a patient-by-patient -patient and individual basis, an individual choice. Right, okay. So there's obviously countless genetic conditions out there, but... Thinking about this patient again and thinking about Huntington's, um, there's a couple of key points in the Huntington's genetics, isn't, isn't there? Can you just talk me through a few of those? Yeah, so Huntington's disease is classified as an autosomal dominant condition. Um, so uh, if someone has the disease, it is, uh, there is a 50% chance that their offspring might uh, develop the condition at some point in their life. So Huntington's disease is caused by uh, CAG repeat on chromosome 4 in the Huntington gene. So if someone has a CAG repeat higher than 40, um, the penetrance of the disease is the penetrance of the disease is 100%. So what that means is is that they will develop the disease if they live a normal life expectancy. So what you might find in this patient who's 34 is if he decides to go for predictive testing, he might have a positive test, but he has not developed the symptoms just yet. However, it is very likely that within his life expectancy, he will develop these symptoms. Another important aspect of the disease, of, of, the, of this genetic condition, is because it is a trinucleotide repeat, we do see a phenomenon called anticipation. So uh, what happens is, is with each generation, the trinucleotide repeat is expanded. So the that might mean that if the father has 42, the son might have a larger number. So they might have 44, 45, or, may have, or it might be even higher than that. And so the symptoms then manifest younger then? Yes, yeah, so this is not a rule, but is the general thing that we normally see in, pa in patients with Huntington's disease, is that the higher the trinucleotide repeats, the younger the, by which the symptoms do present. Um, this is not a rule for all trinucleotide repeats, but is seen in the majority of them. Okay, all right. After your conversation with this patient, on the presumption that he was asymptomatic, he changed his mind after the clinic and decided genetic testing wasn't the right thing for him at this point in his life. Ten years later, however, the same gentleman is re-referred 
uh, with some new signs. So he's now more impatient and more aggressive. And when you're examining him, there are some um, abnormal movements. Uh, he's married with a partner, but they're not making any plans for a family at this point. So thinking about the first steps here with this patient representing, if we talk more about the clinical syndrome that you see with Huntington's disease, what, what would you find in examination and what do you think are important features not to forget about? So in this gentleman, it seems, it seems to me like he's probably developing the condition now. Um, the, so the condition itself is characterized by three main uh, important clinical findings. The first one is a hyperkinetic movement disorder that's classified as chorea. So the second thing is a type of cognitive impairment and uh, at the end stage of disease, it causes dementia. And the, and the third thing is a, is, a is a history of mental health, particularly problems with depression and um, problems with impulsivity. So what you're describing at the moment are features of a hyperkinetic movement disorder, uh, which is that of Korea. So Korea is a condition that causes abnormal movements that are unpredictable and random in nature and can affect all parts of the body. So the, the chorea in Huntington's disease affects all parts of the body, including upper limbs, lower limbs, as well as face. A clinical feature that we no normally see is, 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 a, is a feature called tongue and persistence. Um, what we normally do is ask the patient to keep the, their tongue out for 10 seconds, and they normally struggle to do that. This is something that can be seen earlier earlier disease. Other features that we normally see are problems with eye movements, so they can get a slow initiation of saccades, and uh, they can also uh, get features of a supranuclear gaze palsy later on in the condition. Um, the patients might also describe problems with dysarthria, and they might also uh, notice problems with uh, motor function, particularly because the chorea would intrude in the, into their movements. Uh, further inquiring through their history, you might uh, find out that the patient might have had a past history of mental health illness. He might have had periods where he might uh, been rather impulsive and might have gambled uh, into situations, or he might have had uh, situations where he was quite aggressive in his behavior and, and rather um, uh, ang and rather angry for no particular reason. And these are all suggestions that um, the patient might ha might be developing Huntington's disease. So would now be a good time to do genetic testing? Yes, so uh, at this point in time, what we would be doing is a diagnostic test. So we, the patient has, a clinical, has clinical features of Huntington's disease, and the, and the genetic testing here is, is used to confirm the clinical suspicion. Um, the way we normally do it is we do the test after pr appropriate counseling in clinic, and then we bring the patient back to clinic after the test results where we discuss the, implica or discuss the implications of the diagnosis as well as uh, potential for medication and treatment in the future. And at this point, we would discuss the implications of, the, uh, of an autosomal dominant inheritance in the disease. Okay. So there's been a lot about Huntington's in the news um, just over the last couple of years. Are there any treatments or any things to consider for this gentleman where he starts a family with this new diagnosis? So there are a few really important areas of therapeutics that have been uh, recently looked into. So uh, one of the most important uh, aspects of management is, is looking at the inheritance of the condition. Um, nowadays there is pre-implantation testing 
of uh, of offspring. So what they might do if the patient and the, his wife are interested in, uh, and if they want to have children um, you, using the genetic services, they can be referred for pre-implantation testing where, where they can check whether offspring are carriers of the um, mutated gene or not. And if they are not carriers of the mutated gene, they can get implanted and they can have children, which, in a, which uh, might mean that they are disease-free. Um, if they are not in favor of this treatment, there are other options. There are, we do have a number of symptomatic treatments that can help with the patient's symptoms. However, there's a lot of this research happening on genetic types of treatment that can be used. There is some interesting results coming out uh, for, for gene silencing treatments. Um, however, at the moment, none of these genetic treatments is licensed in Huntington's disease. Um, the symptomatic treatments that we normally use uh, are there to target the movement disorder. So we normally use uh, antidopaminergic therapy such as tetrabenazine or um, uh, antipsychotics such as olanzapine to help with the choreiform movements. Um, we might uh, ask the help of psychiatrists, uh, we, we would normally ask the help of our colleagues, the psychiatrists, to help us with managing some of the mental health difficulties. And uh, we normally ensure that a, uh, that a full team, uh, including a multidisciplinary team, is involved in managing the patient's symptoms, including a physiotherapist, uh, Huntington's disease advisor, a social worker, occupational therapist, because they all can help with the management of the patient's symptoms. We hope you enjoyed listening to this episode. Look out for more podcast episodes coming out shortly.